Let's continue in worship by taking your Bible this morning and turning to the fifth chapter of James. This morning we'll be looking at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Let's turn our hearts toward God's Word. In James chapter 5, if you're a guest today, we've been uh, preaching through this wonderful letter. And, you know, I was reading, and I know Pastor Colby did as you were preparing. And, you know, years ago when the church fathers were looking at the epistle of James, one said it's a quite strawy epistle, and there, were, there was debate about whether, you know, it should be in the canon or where it should be in the scriptures that we have. But let me tell you, it's been eye-opening. As Pastor Colby has said, it has been a wonderful experience for me working my way through James. And James is a spirit-filled writer and the spirit-filled book and challenging us as believers today in so many ways. And so I hope that you'll see that this morning. Let's take a minute to read verses 7 through 12. And I'm going to ask you again just to stand right where you are, that I might read God's word over us this morning, praying a blessing on God from God as we hear his word preached today. Beginning in verse 7, James says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Verse 12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. Lord, as Pastor James has encouraged us, may we be truly doers of the word, not hearers only. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. If you'll notice in James, in the passage we just read, two times on two different occasions, verse 7 and verse 8, James says, be patient, be patient. Now, I know if we're honest with ourselves, patience is something that a lot of us struggle with. We don't, we're like the lady, I want patience and I want it now. You know, we, we don't like to wait. And, uh, but you know, it's interesting because uh, James, well, patience is this. It's the ability to stay put, the ability to stay put and stand fast when you would like to run. Patience gives us the ability to stay put instead of running ahead. That's the idea of waiting there. We need patience to stand fast Instead of running away, that's the idea of being patient with people and in certain circumstances. When we want to run away, patience says we need to stay. We need to stand there. But you know, James is not really talking about being patient with people today. Wives, he's not telling you to be patient with your husbands. The husband, he's not telling you to be patient with your wives or couples with your children. He's not talking to us about being patient and waiting in long lines or driving through construction sites here in Tuscaloosa, uh, which happened just every now and then. He's not talking about that kind of patience. 
Now, we're going to talk about that, just give you a shameless plug. At 5 o'clock, our life group meets here in the sanctuary, and we're going to talk about that kind of patience tonight at 5 if you're a part of that group. If you're not, you're welcome to join us. But James is not talking about being patient with people or circumstances. James, in this passage, is talking about the big picture, the much bigger picture. James is talk about pa- talking about patiently waiting for one big event. He's saying that all of our life is to be lived out in light of one coming event. Be patient, James says. We're to be patiently waiting for the return of Christ. You know, there are a couple of things I've noticed at Alberta Baptist that get our people excited. If you notice from the choir and the music, when we talk and sing about Jesus being raised from the grave, people get excited. We'll we'll get a good clap every now and then when we talk about the resurrection, and we should. And then this morning, when we talk about the return of Christ, Jesus coming back, again, we need to get some claps. We need to get people excited, and we are. But I think the truth is, personally speaking, I don't get excited enough. I don't think we talk enough about the return of Christ. Now, our hope and our only hope is on the, in the, based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Peter says we're to fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us at the return of Christ. So this morning, at any point during this message, if you want to stand up and shout, you can do that, okay? There was a church, country church one time, and the guy, the old man, would just he would disrupt the whole service with his shout, and he was a shouting Baptist. So finally, the preacher and some deacons went to see him one day, and he was out plowing his mule, and he, he was plowing the mule, and the deacon and the preacher walked out there, and the old farmer said, so, I know why you've come, preacher. I know why the deacons are with you, because I know I cause a disturbance every Sunday. I know my shouting bothers the children, scares the children, and bothers there's the adults. But I want you to know, whenever I start thinking about what Jesus has done for me, how he died on that cross, how he's coming in, here, hold this mule while I shout. (laughs) There's some things we should shout about. And the return of Christ is one of those. So God's word tells us that we need to be living in light of this one big event. You know, the book of James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And we're studying Proverbs and the Old Testament on Wednesday night. And Proverbs are given to us so that we can live wisely. Well, one of the many blessings of the New Testament, particularly the book of James, is that it is God's gift to us to keep us from living foolishly and to make us wise. See, God wants to wake us up from the, I like these terms, from the numbness and the sleepiness I love the word John Piper uses, banality, to be, so much of life creates banality, to be banal, which means just to be brain dead. So many of us go through life sleepily with numbness, and we're to live our lives in light of one great certain reality, an expectation. Now, I bet there's a bunch of people here who could tell us exactly how many days until kickoff, probably hours, some of our guys know that. And we've been looking forward to that for a long time, counting down the days. But let me just remind you this morning, as believers, there's an event we need to be looking forward to. The return of Christ is huge, and it is certain. So God's calling us, and maybe this would be a great wake-up call for all of us, to get serious about it and to begin to live in light of the return of Christ and to live in, in such a way that we are prepared for this great event. 
So this morning from this passage, I want us to see three things that we are to wait for the return of Christ. First of all, patiently. Secondly, intently. And then thirdly, we are to wait eagerly for the return of Christ, okay? Waiting patiently. James begins chapter five, verse seven, with therefore, okay? And as all preachers say, when you see a therefore, what's it there for? So James takes one more shot at the rich. We looked at that last week. And one more opportunity to encourage the oppressed. He's saying, therefore, because he said last week, as we saw in the first part of the chapter, that there are people, the rich, who've lived luxuriously. They've lived selfishly. And James says, there's gonna be a day of reckoning. So this therefore reminds us, yes, there's gonna be a day where the rich are gonna be held accountable and the oppressed are gonna be vindicated. Therefore, that day is the coming of the Lord. When Christ returns, he's gonna set everything right. All the injustices of the world will be justified. All the oppression will be wiped away. So he says, therefore, therefore, because that day's coming, be patient, be patient. So he's telling us this day is coming and patiently wait for it. As we are patiently waiting, he tells us three things. Number one, we're to continue to labor in the harvest. James uses the example of the farmer. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it. How many of you ever worked on a farm or lived on a farm? Anybody? Okay, a few. There's one thing we all know about being a farmer. It's hard work. My dad bought 120 acres in Belleville, Alabama when I was a kid. We lived in Evergreen. It was 12 miles away. And he bought 120 acres to keep us off the streets. You know, we, every Saturday, we were working on that farm. Every afternoon, we were feeding cows and throwing hay. You know, there are too many kids today who think manual labor is the governor of Mexico. We need to learn how to, how to work. And that's what my dad wanted to do. He said, I want my boys to learn how to work, okay? So we had a farm. And so James says, be patient like a farmer. So this is what a farmer does all day, right? <laughs> yeah, you wish. A farmer gets up early before daylight. He's out there building fences. He's plowing ground. He's tilling the soil. He's planting seed. He's, do he's working hard all day long. So it's no accident that James says, be patient like a farmer. Now we know that a farmer is dependent, totally at the mercy of God. James says it here. He says he, he waits, be patient about it. He waits until he gets the early and the late rains. Now the early rains were necessary because it softened the soil enough so that the farmer could plow and plant the seed. Without those rains, he couldn't even crack. If you've ever been to the Middle East, you know how dry and hard that soil is over there. Without those early rains, he couldn't get a plow in the ground. And then in the late rains, that's the rain that would come just at the right time so that the harvest would be plentiful and fruitful. And so he was dependent and he was waiting, but he wasn't sitting by idly waiting for the rain to come. It's no accident that James says we need to continue to labor in the harvest. The farmer's waiting consisted of a lot of hard work. A farmer did his part to prepare the soil. And so we're to be busy. 
Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, I have planted and Apollos has watered, but God is the one who causes the increase. See, we're just like farmers. We can plant and we can water, but only God can cause the increase. But as we are patiently waiting for the return of Christ, we don't go up on the hilltop and wear white robes and just sit around. We are to continue to labor in the harvest as a farmer. We wait, but we do not wait idly. We're to be busy working in the harvest, planting and sowing, but all the time dependent upon the Lord. Let me ask you this. When the Lord returns, will he find you laboring in the harvest? Will he find you working in the harvest field? Will you be busy about the things of the Lord or sitting idly by? As we wait patiently, we're to be careful with our words. This is interesting. Look at verse nine. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Verse 12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Don't complain. Don't swear. Let me explain. James, as we know, is very concerned about the Christian and their tongue. How to tame the tongue. You remember James chapter 1, verse 26? If anyone, anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's, religious is this man's religion is worthless. Our words are important. Complaining, swearing. Do not complain against one another. I think very simply what James is saying, as we patiently wait on the Lord, hey, let's wait with a happy heart. <laughs> we have a rule when our grandkids come to our house, no whining at Big Daddy's house. No complaining at T's house. Grandkids can't do that. They're not allowed to do that. And that's exactly what James has said. Don't be complaining. Don't be whining while you're waiting on the Lord. See, it's easy to grow impatient and angry, not just waiting on the Lord, but with other people in the meantime. We find ourselves in a hostile world. We find ourselves surrounded by people who get on our nerves. And it's easy to be a complainer. It's easy to become critical of other people. That's the easy thing to do. But God's word tells us not to do that. As we're going through trials, as we're suffering, it's easy and quite natural to blame other people. We blame and criticize others somehow for the difficulties that we're going. We're, my problem is your fault. The Bible says a couple things about that. It's called complaining and murmuring. Did you know that murmuring is a word called an onomatopoeia? It's defined by what it sounds like. You don't believe it? Say it with me. Everybody say murmur at one time. Murmur, 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 murmur. You've got to get louder. Come on. Murmur, 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 murmur. That's what murmuring is. It's just murmur, murmur, murmur. Don't complain. Wait patiently with a happy heart. Don't focus on what other people have done to you. Don't complain or criticize other people. Look at our own hearts. James reminds us, do not complain, brethren, against one another. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And then somewhat strangely, <laughs> verse 12, do not swear. 
Do not swear. When we complain, that's how we talk to one another. And James says, don't talk to each other complaining or criticizing. When we swear, now stay with me, okay? This is how we talk to God. And I believe this is what James wants us to be reminded of. As we're going through difficult times, Lord, I, do you remember a guy who was fixing to face a difficult time and he made an oath? He looked Jesus in the face and he said, I will die with you. Although everybody else forsakes you, I will die with you. Who said that? Peter. Peter. I always liked Peter because I always felt like he's like one of our teammates at Alabama. We had several guys who could do anything with a football except sign it. I mean, he just, he wasn't the brightest guy, but he was bold. He was daring. He was courageous. And sometimes he thought, he spoke before he thought, okay? Leave you, Lord, I will die for you. Waiting patiently for the return of the Lord is not boasting in ourselves or our strength. We're not trusting in our ability to make it through. We make no oaths about how good we're going to do. We make no promises about how faithful we're going to be. Because we know, as Paul says, the scripture says, therefore he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he what? Fall. We're trusting in the Lord. We're not making oaths. We're not swearing to our own strength and ability. We're not trusting in our ability to get through. We quietly trust in the Lord and his power to see us through. Our patient endurance will be shown, not in our boasts, but in our faithfulness to the end. You know, there are a lot of people who can talk a good game, but there are a lot of dear saints who just quietly go about their business, not saying a lot, but they're as faithful as they could possibly be. I think that's what James is telling us to be. Don't be a complainer. Don't be one who goes around boasting about what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. Just quietly trust in the Lord. Do not swear, James says, that you may not fall under judgment. Do not complain. The judge is standing right at the door. Christ is coming. He's the judge right at the door. I love this point. He's saying, be careful how you talk because I think James is kind of taking us back to when he was growing up and he was arguing with his children, his brothers and sisters, and his mama was standing there. And he's saying, you know, don't complain because the judge is standing right at the door. <laughs> I love the story I heard years ago of a young teenager working in a grocery store in the produce department. And this lady came in and said, I want to buy a half a head of cabbage. And he was, what? Thought to himself, man, this is terrible. So he just kind of annoyed by her and he took off to walk to the back of the store. Didn't know the lady was following him. So when he got to the back of the store, his supervisor said, what are you doing? Said, I need a knife. There's some crazy lady out here who wants to buy a half a head of cabbage and this nice lady wants to buy the other half. <laughs> You know, we're not going to get off that easy, okay? We got to be careful with our words. Be careful what we say. The judge is standing right at the door. Do you ever think about that, that everything that you say Jesus hears, and the Bible says we're going to be accountable for every word? That ought to change our conversation, shouldn't it? Okay, the judge is standing right at the door for judgment, let me just say a word. I know we've got a number of people here today who are guests, and there may be somebody here, and you're not a Christian. Pastor Colby read the scripture a while ago. It's appointed to all men once to die, and after that, the judgment. There will be a day of judgment. And for some, this is the most terrifying day in history. 
When Christ returns, those who are unprepared will be met by a holy, angry, omnipotent God who will hold us accountable for whether we've trusted in him and his grace, whether we've worshiped him and followed his commandments. There is a day of judgment coming. There's a day that is as certain. It's appointed to all men once to die. You know, I, you have an appointment with your doctor. It's written in the book. You show up. Hopefully they've got it there. But there's an appointment in God's book to all men once to die. And after that, the judgment. For many, this is a fearful prospect to stand before God. These are sobering truths. So believer and unbeliever, maybe we need to wake up this morning. Wake up. God wants to wake us up, make us alive to what really matters in this world. So we continue to labor in the harvest. We're careful with our words. And thirdly, as we patiently wait, we are confident in God's purposes. Look at verse 10. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So James says, as an example of suffering and patience, look at the prophets. And first of all, suffering and patience go hand in hand. How do we learn to be patient? We learn to be patient by going through difficult times. James takes us back to chapter one. Remember where he said, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, patience and endurance through trials. And let, that means to surrender and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we're confident in God's purposes as we patiently wait for the return of Christ, knowing that life is going to be difficult, but yet God is at work in our circumstances. So James points us to the prophets and Job as examples. If you're with the Bible reading program we have in our bulletin, this week we read in 2 Chronicles about Zechariah. God sent Zechariah to speak to the king. He sent prophets to them. Second Chronicles. He sent prophets to them. Though they tested, testified against them, they would not listen. Second Chronicles 24, 21. At the command of the king, they stoned Zechariah to death. So James says, look at the prophets. You say, wait a second, I don't want to be like the prophets. But what did Jesus say about the prophets? He said, just like the prophets, we are blessed when we are persecuted for Christ. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What's he saying? These men who were faithful to God, who were faithful to proclaim the message. Yes, they were suffered and they were persecuted. They were even were martyred in this life, but their reward is great. Their reward is great. So we can be confident in the purposes of God that this life, this world just prepares us, enables us to enter into the next life. What about Job? He said, consider Job. Job, whose name is synonymous with patience and suffering. What did Job learn through suffering? What was God's purpose for Job to go through suffering? Well, when he came out on the other side, Job said this, 
<laughs> Lord, I'd heard of thee, but now I have seen thee with my own eyes. Church, there's just some ways that we have to go before we can see God with our own eyes. There's just some things we have to go through before we can see the Lord with our own eyes. Job thought he knew God, but when he finished suffering, he knew that he knew the Lord. God wants to accomplish great purposes in our life. We continue to labor. We're careful with our words, and we are confident that God's purposes are accomplished in suffering as we patiently wait, as we patiently wait, knowing that God is up to something big, and it's going to be great. So we wait patiently for the return of Christ. Secondly, we wait intently for the return of Christ. Look at verse 8. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Encourage yourselves. Preach to yourself. If you're familiar with the Psalms, you know that David did that all the time. He preached to himself. You know what? We need that. You know why we need that? Because we are monumental forgetters. We need to be reminded all the time of the greatness of God, of the promises of God. So James says, we are intently waiting for the Lord as we strengthen our heart. He tells us to encourage ourselves, to fix our heart on the return of Christ, to wait intently on his return. Christ is to be our focus. Christ and his return is what we're looking forward to. We're focused on it. Jesus in Luke 9, 51, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. That was his focus. He was determined. And in the same way, James says, strengthen your heart. Set your focus on the return of Christ. Set your heart resolutely, with conviction, with focus. We're to fix our eyes on the goal of the coming of Christ, the one main event that really, really matters. And fixing our eyes on Jesus and his return, let me tell you what it'll do. It will change us in two ways. We'll look at your outline. First of all, waiting intently, focusing on the return of Christ, it will transform us right now. Did you know that? It will transform us right now. If you leave here this morning, say, you know, I'm going to kind of listen to what Brother Keith said. I want to begin to think more about the return of Christ. I want to begin to pray more for the return of Christ. I want to begin to live more like Christ's return is imminent. You will be a different person. I promise you. That's what the Bible says. Look at 1 John 3, verse 2. Waiting intently transforms us now. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, his second coming, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And here's the key. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. That's the way we wait. Just personal testimony. I waited 22 years for my wife, Teresa. We got married May 24th, 1980, before God and way too many witnesses. But I'd waited all my life for her. She'd waited all her life for me. We knew that God had a great plan for our life. Purity is a blessing. And it's a blessing in marriage. It's a blessing in the heart of the believer to wait in purity but why? Because Jesus is standing right at the door. He's going to hear everything. He's going to see everything anyway. 
But while we're waiting, while we're focused intently on the return of Christ, we keep ourselves separated from the world. See, we have to fight against worldliness and nothing helps us fight worldliness like expecting the return of Christ. See, we don't drift into holiness. It doesn't happen. We drift into sin. We drift into worldliness when we lose our focus on Jesus. When we focus intently on his return, we will experience a life different. Waiting intently changes, transforms us now. Waiting intently focuses our hope on blessings to come. We begin to think about, you know, man, I got to pay the power bill this week. I got to pay the gas bill this week. I got to go to the doctor, the dentist. I got to do But you know what? There's coming a day. There'll be no more bills. There'll be no more doctors. There'll be no more sickness. And we begin to, hey, we, we, we're different because we're thinking about what's to come. What God has said is going to be ours. What's already ours in Christ right now, but will be realized when Jesus returns. So we waiting intently focuses our hope on blessings to come. So here again in verse 11, James says, consider Job. Look at that. You've heard of the endurance of Job. And here's the key. And you have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now, what's he saying? Job's suffering was serious, but his final end was glorious. Let me say that again. Job's suffering was serious, but his final end was glorious. If you've never studied the book of Job, you need to. In the end, his suffering was gone and his fortunes were restored. So James says, consider the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Waiting intently for the return of Christ focuses our hope on blessings to come. Let me just run through a couple of those blessings this morning. We don't have time, really, to go through them all, but let me just mention a couple. Pastor Colby read just a few minutes ago from Hebrews 9. Inasmuch as it's been appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, that's, we just talked about that, you have an appointment with God to stand in judgment. We all do, one day. In that book, they were all written the days that are ordained for us, when as yet there's not even one of them. You're, God knows your birth date. God knows your death date. They're all ordained in his book. There's an appointment, and if you're not a believer, you will stand before him in judgment, okay? So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, here's the good, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. And what's he saying? The first time Christ came, he came because of sin. That's what he came. He came to bear our sins in his body. The sins of many were born in his body the first time he came when he died on the cross. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of God's redemptive plan. Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. He bore our sin in his body. This is the answer to the greatest problem people face anywhere, everywhere. How can I be right with God? How can I stand before God one day at the judgment day? You cannot in their own righteousness, but we can stand in the righteousness of Christ because Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust. So the answer, how can I stand before God, is Christ's death. His death is an offering to bear the sins of many. Now, 
the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is coming again a second time. And he shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. He came the first time to deal with sin. He put sin away. It's finished. Christ comes a second time, but this not time not to deal with sin, but to save us from judgment for salvation. That's what verse 28 means. He shall appear a second time for salvation. That's what Paul said in Romans 5, having now been justified by his blood, his death, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more than having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his what? His life. His life. His death pardoned us and his second coming justifies us before God. We can stand before God. We are saved completely and utterly by his second coming. His return signals our unconditional acceptance into the kingdom. Because he saved us from judgment. A couple things. We will be raised in glory. We will be like Christ. I mentioned this in 1 John 3 where he said, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in perishable, perishable body. It is raised in imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. What's the resurrected body going to look like? It's going to be a glorified body. We're going to be like Christ. Many of us have stood over friends and loved ones. We watched the results of cancer and other dreaded disease eat away at that body and take their life ultimately. But the next time we see those folks, if you're a believer and they are a believer, they'll be in a glorified body, a glorified body. Their glory, God's glory, we'll be in the glorified body that God has given us. There's going to be no trace of pain or disease. We will see them in the fullness of what it means to be created in the image of God. That's what a glorified body, the fullness of what it means to be created in the image of God. We will see them in glory and we will all be like Jesus when Jesus returns. Can I get, somebody ought to shout about right now. There we go. Secondly, we will be welcomed by Christ. You know, this, this kind of hits me because I always love to go home. It's so great to have my mother here with us in Tuscaloosa now, but going home has always been special, to be welcomed home, to go back home to family and friends, to be welcomed. Let me tell you, when Jesus returns, we will be welcomed by Christ. Every believer will be welcomed by Jesus. This is where Jesus will openly acknowledge us before the Father, Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What a glorious thought. What a glorious thought. We will be raised in glory. We'll be welcomed by Christ. We will be eternally blessed in Christ. Revelation 21, 4 says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will, I mean, not to cry and have pains, wonderful. But no longer, ever again, Paul says, so we shall always be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. The last thing we say at most gravesides. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Say it with me. 
forever. That's a long time, church. We will be eternally blessed in Christ. So we wait intently. Hey, the things that matter most ought to be our most concern. The things that matter least, we ought to be least concerned about. That's why James gives us this great teaching toward the end of his book. Hey, church, Jesus is coming back. So we wait intently. And thirdly and finally, we wait eagerly for the return of Christ. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. I hope this morning that maybe, if nothing else, I've kind of stirred your eager button a little bit to make you think more about the return of Christ. How can we be ready for his return? Trust Christ today in a way that makes you eager for him to return. He's coming to save those who eagerly wait for him. Trust Christ today in a way that all doubt is removed from your heart. You're trusting totally in him and not putting confidence in yourself or your good deeds. Am I ready? Am I really? Yes, I'm believing. I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm taking God at his word. And here, trust Christ and live for him in a way that you will not be ashamed when the judge walks through that door. He's standing right at the door. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promised return. Thank you for your provision for us, that Christ died for our sin to justify us, that his blood cleanses us from all our sin, and that he was raised from the grave and he is returning again to take us home to be with him to usher us in to the kingdom eternally. Father, we long for that day. We long for that day. God, may we live as if that day could come at any moment, as if the judge were standing right at the door. Father, help us to have a sense of urgency. Lord, help us to look forward to the return of Christ, as we said, with patience, with intensity, but Lord, eagerly as well. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who's not ready to meet the Lord, that today would be the day that they would recognize that they were a sinner, that Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, that in his death, the penalty for sin was paid once for all for all humanity. And the sacrifice of Jesus, no longer trusting in themselves. And Lord, that they would experience your forgiveness by grace. And Lord, you would give each of them the calm assurance of your presence in their life today for their good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.